0: Well, good morning again and welcome to Grace Bible Church. We will be in James chapter 3 again today. As we continue our trek through the epistle of James. Let me pray for us. And then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this church, Father. We pray for those who could not be here. I think of Megan and uh, Elizabeth, and Father, pray for the baby. Pray, Lord, she would um, be strong. That you would be with the doctors as she, they figure out what's going on with her. Father, pray be with Megan, strengthen her and help her through this. Give her right thoughts, thoughts that meditate on the truth of your word. Lord, I pray this morning again that you would be with us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that you would illuminate through your spirit the preaching of the word. We thank you this morning again in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in part two of the sermon I've entitled or titled Taming the Beast. Taming the Beast. This is James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. We studied the first two points of this sermon uh, last week. Uh, The first point being that the first tactic to restrain the destructive nature of your tongue is that you must regard the danger. That's chapter 3, verse 1. And the second point is that you must realize the depravity. Now, I want you to know that we're going to do an extensive review of those two points because I wanted to bring out some other thoughts and, and, and that, about the text. So, I want you to just, just relax. We may actually have a part 3 of this, of this sermon. I, I, we'll see how far we get. So, let me read... The passage this morning, uh, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now, understand, I read the entire passage, uh, the entire pericope, if you will, in order to uh, understand exactly what James is saying in context. I won't preach all of these verses this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says, "...let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment." For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct that is, their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest fire is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set amongst, among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out this from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, and, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Last week we started. Uh, this study on James 3, which focuses on the use of our tongues. Specifically, it, it starts by f- focusing on those who would desire to be teachers. James states, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now we learned last week the seriousness of the role of teaching in the church. The, uh, the seriousness of the role of leading the church of the living God. The weight of our words, uh, there are great weight in our words as we preach and teach. Now at GBC, we are committed to the sequential exposition of God's word, which means that we don't usually take a break to preach topical sermons. And today is no exception, but there is something that I want to bring to our attention, something that is going on in our culture It just so happens that this fits perfectly with our current passage. These past few weeks have been harrowing, if you will, for those who are in conservative evangelical circles. You may not be aware, but the Southern Baptist Convention has been facing incredibly difficult times. They face an incredibly difficult problem. Over the past couple of weeks, the Washington Post, a secular paper, broke a story concerning a man named Paige Patterson, the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It seems that a former female student has accused him of asking her not to report an alleged rape not to report it to the police telling her to forgive the accused man and she was placed and she herself was placed on probation for allowing the man to be in her room he has also been accused of an off-color comment about a young lady's appearance as part of a sermon illustration and has been accused of telling uh, abused women to forgive their abusive husbands and to return to them According to his accusers, these issues form a pattern of marginalizing women. Dr. Patterson was forced to retire from the seminary because of the allegations against him. Now, Dr. Albert Moeller wrote an article this week that, in his uh, blog, and and I think he spoke about it on his briefing. It's called The Wrath of God Poured Out. The humiliation of the Southern Baptist Convention. The last few weeks have... This is... This is I'm quoting mm-hmm. Dr. Mueller. It's so, a quite long quote. The last few weeks have been excruciating for the Southern Baptist Convention and, the, and for the larger evangelical movement. It is as if bombs are dropping and God alone knows how many will fall and where they will land. America's largest evangelical denomination has been in the headlines day after day. The SBC is in the midst of its own horrifying Me Too moment. Now let me just say, let me stop this, so I'm, I'm interrupting the quote. Let me say that that Moeller seems to be using this terminology, Me Too, uh, to describe the current situation in the SBC. Not He's not... He doesn't seem to be giving validity to that secular movement. He's only describing this as something that's going on in the SBC. He goes on to say, At one of our seminaries, controversy is centered on a president, now former president, whose sermon illustration from a few years ago included advice that a battered wife remain in the home and and in the marriage in hope of the conversion of her abusive husband. Other comments represented the objectification of a teenage girl. The issues only grew more urgent with the sense that the dated statements represented ongoing by- advice and counsel. But the issues are far deeper and wider. Sexual misconduct is as old as sin. But the avalanche of sexual misconduct that has come to light in recent weeks is almost too much to bear. Again, this is Al Mueller. I'm quoting Al Mueller. These grievous revelations of sin have occurred in churches, in denominational ministries, and even in our seminaries. We thought this was a Roman Catholic problem. The unbiblical requirement of priestly celibacy and the organized conspiracy of silence within the hierarchy helped to explain the cesspool of child sex abuse that has robbed the Roman Catholic Church of so much of its moral authority. When people said that evangelicals had a similar crisis coming, it didn't seem plausible, even to me. I have been president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for 25 years. I did not see this coming. I was wrong. The judgment of God has come. Judgment has now come to the house of the Southern Baptist Convention. The terrible, swift sword of public humiliation has come with a vengeance. There can be no doubt that the story is not over. We cannot blame a requirement of priestly celibacy. We cannot even point to an organized conspiracy of silence within a denominational hierarchy. No, our humiliation comes as a result of an unorganized conspiracy of silence. And sadly, the unorganized nature of our problem may make recovery and correction even more difficult and the silence even more dangerous is the problem theological has the conservative resurgence and the southern baptist convention come to this is this what thousands of Southern Baptists were hoping for when they worked so hard to see this denomination returned to its theological convictions, its seminaries returned to the teaching of the, in, teaching the inerrancy of the Holy Scriptures, its ministries solidly established on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did we win confessional integrity only to sacrifice our moral integrity? Among the issues of hottest theological debate, and I continue to quote, was the role of the women in the home and in the church. The SBC has affirmed complementarianism, the belief that the Bible reveals that men and women are equally made in God's image, but that men and women were also created to complement each other, to be complements to each other, men and women bearing distinct and different roles. This means obeying the Bible's very clear teaching on male, on male leadership in the home and in the church. He asked the question, is complementarianism the problem? Is it just a camouflage for abusive males and permission for the abuse and mistreatment of women? We can see how that argument would be plausible to so many who are looking to conservative evangelicals and wondering if we have gone mad. But the same Bible that reveals the complementary pattern of male leadership in the home and the church also reveals God's steadfast and unyielding concern for the abused, the threatened, the suffering, and the fearful. There's no excuse whatsoever for, for abuse in any form. Verbal, emotional, physical, spiritual, or sexual. The Bible warns so clearly of those who would abuse power and weaponize authority. Let that sink in. The Bible warns so clearly of those who would abuse power and weaponize authority. Every Christian church and every pastor and every church member must be ready to protect any of God's children threatened by abuse and must hold every abuser fully accountable. The church and any institution or ministry serving the church must be ready to assure safety and support to any woman or child or child or vulnerable one threatened by abuse the church must make every appropriate call to law enforcement and recognize the rightful god ordained responsibility of civil government to protect to investigate and to prosecute a church denomination or children or Christian ministry that is must look outside of itself when confronted with a pattern of mishandling such responsibilities or merely being charged with such a pattern, we cannot vindicate ourselves, end quote. Cannot vindicate ourselves. There's so much going on there, right? So much going on that I really can't unpack at all. I wanted to bring this to your attention for several reasons. Obviously, the gravity of the situation, right? The gravity of what's going on. I wanted to say for sure, that as a church, Grace Bible Church, needs to, be, needs to be a church where there's safety. Where there's safety. We need to, to, to ensure safety of those around us, especially the vulnerable ones, right? But I wanted to bring this also to your attention when it comes to the use of the tongue, and especially when it comes to being a teacher and preacher of the Word of God. This really first draws attention to the danger of being a teacher of the Word of God, especially if your walk does not match your talk. This draws attention, let me say it again, this draws attention to the danger of being a teacher of the Word of God, especially if your walk does not match your talk. Now, I don't know Paige Patterson's character. I don't know him. But very, very clearly, we see a situation where his words and his actions came back to haunt him. If he is guilty of what they're saying, then this is a cautionary tale of, what, uh, of that we as teachers will be judged for every word that we utter. Everything that we say, we will, be, we will be judged for. If he is not guilty, then then this is a sad example of how a good man... How a good man can be taken down by a group of people intent on his demise. Either way, either way, we must guard our words. We must understand that there are power, there is power in the words that we speak. And as teachers, we may desire, let me say this, we may desire to be edgy, but in today's climate, this is a recipe for disaster. We need to, as teachers, we need to preach and teach the word of God. We need to preach and teach what the Word of God says. And and this desire to be edgy, this desire to, to speak like the culture speaks, uh, we need to be we need to be done with it. Number two to the reasons why I brought this up. In this day of electronic media, every word is recorded. Therefore, we will be judged in an earthly forum for every word that we speak and every word we write. As teachers, we must understand that everything that we say publicly is recorded and can be brought back out of context or usually divorced of the original intent and out of context. So again, we're brought to, we must be guarded in our words we must remain discerning in what we hear. It's not just, let me, let me make sure we understand. It's not just what I say from the pulpit, or what another teacher says from the pulpit, or in a, in, a, in a teaching situation, but it's also being discerning in what you hear. It's also being discerning as you read on the internet, as you read these things, being discerning as to what you're, what you're believing and what you're not. thirdly third reason I bring it up I believe this situation along with the broader me too movement has given some opportunity to smear people in public without due process you understand that it, the, the, the forum that we have, the electronic forum, the Facebook pages, the Twitter the Twitter feeds, the, the blogs, all the things that we have now that are out there it has given people an, an, a, a forum to smear people without the due process of, of what's really true and what's not. We are tried on social media without the benefit of a proper trial. Does that make sense? And in many cases, found guilty. With the advent of blogs, we become the target of anyone who with an axe to grind. And, and the media, the media itself, has been trying cases in the court of public opinion for years. Do you think, by the way, that, that the Washington Post cares whether or not Paige Patterson truly is guilty or, or not guilty? They don't care. They just want to sell papers or whatever it is they sell now, ad space or whatever it is. They never, they never let the truth get in the way of a good lie. Never let the truth get in the way of a good lie. Fourth, this situation requires much prayer as we hear these accusations against men who have, been, have given their lives to teaching and leading God's people. Again, I don't know Paige Patterson. I've I've heard other accusations against other men who I, I respect. And I need to be prayerful that I would be discerning as I hear these things. We need to pray for the victims, for sure. But we also need to pray for these leaders. Because I don't think there's any true winners in any of this. You understand that? I don't think there's any true winners in any of this. Fifth, our current culture requires discernment as we potentially hear more and more of these stories, and if they hit closer and closer to home. Let me say that again, because I want you. I wanted to. I want. I want this to, to. I want you to get this. Our our current culture requires discernment. As we potentially hear more and more of these stories, and as they hit closer to home, I I changed the word if, I said as they hit closer to home. You know why I say that? Because we live in a culture that's intent on taking down the truth. We live in a culture that's intent on taking down the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. The culture we live in, they do not want to hear the truth. And I'm telling you right now, those who are standing up and preaching and teaching the truth of the Word of God will be the object of attack. And many times, as we're seeing, this attack comes from within. Paul warned, right? False teachers will arise from where? From among you it's no surprise then that from among us we're seeing these kinds of attacks. Sixth. Sixth reason I bring it up. This is a time of testing for the church. This is a time of testing for the church. Beloved, I, I hope that I'm wrong, but I believe this is the beginning of Persecution. In America. I believe that that, that what's happening is, is that we're beginning to see, we're seeing the beginning stages of an attack that is going to be far, or going to be widespread. And I believe none of us will be untouched. I believe none of us will be untouched. I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong, but I know that the pattern is there. We see we see the pattern. James gives us the pattern that we've, we've, been, we've been looking at it since we started James. I mean, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about having joy in the midst of persecution. And then he's, and everything he's saying, why, does it, why do you think he's talking about the tongue right now? Why do you think we're learning about the tongue? Because as persecution comes, the, the, the destructive nature of the, of the tongue comes to the forefront. If you want to get down to it, where else does the attack come from? Right? Where else does it come from except by the use of our speech? <clears throat> As persecution of the church increases, we need to look to the wisdom of God in his scripture to know the answers. Right? <laughs> James 1, five. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. So if we lack wisdom, we need to go to the wisdom of the Word of God. I fear that far too many Christians get their theology from the contemporary scene, including popular Christian music. Far too many Christians don't really know the Word of God. Far too many Christians are getting their theology by turning the radio dial. And when persecution comes, you know what's going to happen? They're going to fold like a deck of cards. The, it, uh, using another analogy, they're going to come down like a house of cards. If your only source of theology is the Christian radio scene, then you are anemic. And you will not be ready for what's to come. As teachers, we need, to, we need great wisdom We need great wisdom to lead through this. We need great wisdom in regard to the use of our tongues and and, and the gravity of our teaching and preaching and leading God's people. In this passage that we started last week, James gives us this great wisdom that we need regarding our tongue. And we started to learn from James five tactics to restrain the, the destructive nature of your tongue. He says, first, you must regard the danger. That's verse 1. Just to remind you, this letter is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. It addresses a a group of people scattered and struggling. Uh, We know from chapter 1 that their faith was being tested. James told them that this testing was from God and that the testing would reveal their genuine faith and bring them to maturity in their Christian walk. You see, this testing... Was no mistake, right? If if the church in, if our church or, or if the church today goes through persecution, it's by no mistake that it goes through persecution. It's because God is putting us through the test, and only those with the genuine faith will make it through. In James chapter two, verses twenty through twenty six, James is concerned that some of them didn't possess this genuine faith. They didn't possess a genuine faith willing to sacrifice all for God, or a genuine faith that's willing to risk all for God. Now, as I said last week, it would seem that James, here in chapter 3, is starting a new subject, but I don't think that's the case. As I, as I said last week, there are a couple of connections. Faith, a faith that does not transform the tongue is no saving faith at all. And it's when we go through testing, when we go through difficulty, that the the sins of the tongue come to the forefront. Just think about it. Think about it. If the Holy Spirit does not transform your speech, then you cannot have assurance of salvation. Because nothing reveals a false faith faith that is quicker than our speech because it reveals our heart. What What we say... What we say reveals our heart. And since speech is is the mark of true faith, it should be then uh, the mark, uh, it should be in proper measure the mark of those who articulate the faith, those who teach the faith. That's why James says, Let not many of you become teachers. Today, whoever deems themselves an expert and has the energy to write a uh, blog or, or start a YouTube channel and gain a following, uh, they, 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 these people feel like that they're self-styled experts. They feel like that they can say what they want to. But they haven't been properly vetted, right? They haven't been properly vetted what James is talking about, right? Let not, uh, do, let not many of you become teachers. Today, we have more and more teachers multiplying themselves on the internet, saying things they ought not say. Anybody can start a blog about anything. But has your character been tested to teach and to lead in a church? That's the question. In the words of Thomas Brooks, listen to this. The lives of ministers oftentimes convince more strongly than their words. Their tongues may persuade, but their lives command. The point he's making there is it's not just what we say. It's not just what we teach. It's does our lives match what we teach? The second connection then is I think that James is speaking of another level of the testing of the faith. That of the tongue or speech especially concerning those who would aspire to be teachers. As we've seen with the current accusations against Dr. Patterson, men and women who choose to stand up and teach the Word of God will undergo a greater scrutiny for good or for ill. Someone who wasn't in a public situation could have said everything he said and nobody would question it. But because he chose to stand up and be a teacher, he, he is undergoing that scrutiny. They must have, if you're going to stand up, a godly character which matches the position. If you're going to stand up to teach, you must have a godly character that matches the position. James had a, a great burden for his people and, and for teaching his people. As a matter of fact, teaching is one of J- James's greatest burdens. These five chapters that he writes, they constitute, constitute an extended piece of pastoral preaching. His goal is to lead his readers and hearers, men and women who were possibly scattered under the direct pastoral, uh, uh, who were once under his, his direct pastoral care and are now scattered, and he's concerned about them, and he wants them to be whole in Christ. As they go through these difficulties, he wants them then to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And he wants them to understand that that anyone who does not bridle his tongue, but they deceive their own heart, and their religion is worthless. He brings up in those verses, and that's actually chapter 1, verse 19, and chapter 1, verse 26, he brings up the importance of the tongue. As a matter of fact, most of his teaching in this letter revolves around the use of the tongue. That's how important it is to him. You remember I said last week there's nearly 60 imperatives or commands in James and, and that there's only there's seven negative imperatives. And of the seven, most of them uh, that, are, that forbid something, most of these negative commands center on the use of the tongue. He's that concerned. Especially concerned with the speech of those who desire to teach. It's a role of honor. But there's a huge responsibility for it. Especially if they teach one thing and live another way. Now I want to make a few remarks regarding the call to teach. Because I I want you to understand that this call to teach is so important. The scriptures clearly state that God calls men to teach and preach. And we need to be amazed by the supernatural nature of this call. But that's the whole point. That's what James is saying, right? Be very careful when you stand up to to preach and teach the Word of God. Let not many of you be teachers, because it is God who calls the teacher. It is God who calls the teacher to come uh, stand up and proclaim His Word. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not like many peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from who? God, right? As from God we speak in Christ in the sight of who? God. Clearly we see that Paul understood the supernatural origin of the message and that God commissions the men whom he wants to give that message. It is not by their own choice. In 1 Thessalonians two three, Paul writes again, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as you have been approved by as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Beloved, the message is from God. And the messenger is chosen by God to be the messenger. Early in, earlier in the letter Paul had written, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He had said they had turned from idols to serve a living and true God." And the reason why that that he, they could, he could say with confidence that that message had come from God is because they had not only had they turned from those idols to serve a living and true God, but they continued to do so. So then we must note that to be an ambassador of the king of kings it is a staggering, staggering privilege and a great burden. Paul himself was marked out for this responsibility by his great suffering. Paul's great suffering for the cause of Christ shows that his ministry was authentically from Christ. Why do you think that we have 2 Corinthians? What's 2 Corinthians all about, right? His suffering, Paul's suffering. Which what? Gives authenticity to his ministry. That's what Paul is saying. Look, I suffered for the cause of Christ. I stand here. I could have gone a completely different direction. My whole life has been suffering since I saw Christ on that road to Damascus, since he revealed himself to me. My life has been suffering ever since. points to a great truth those who are called to preach and teach are called to a life of suffering those who are called to preach and teach are called to a life of suffering there's a man named Bruce Thielman. this quote from him he says there's no special honor in preaching there is only special pain the pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors and like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time. And to know each time you do it that you must do it again. End quote. In light of the suffering that's spoken of in the Bible... For those who would preach God's words, word, I'm amazed at today's self-styled prophets who jet set around the world in the lap of luxury and say they're doing God's work. Doesn't fit. Can't be true, because any true ministry from God, any true ministry from God will be accompanied by suffering for His sake. Let not many of you become teachers. That's what James says let not many of you become teachers listen to paul colossians 124 now i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh i do my share on behalf of his body which is the church and filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions i always struggled with that verse What does Paul mean? Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Does that mean Christ didn't suffer enough? No, it doesn't mean he didn't suffer enough. It means that those who who caused him to suffer would cause him to suffer even more. And Paul stands in that gap. And so does every person, every man who would stand in this pulpit, stand in that gap. Turn to Isaiah 6. You to see this. Isaiah. Isaiah was called to be a prophet during King Uzziah's rule. Uh, Judah had developed into a strong commercial and military state. They were prosperous, but they failed to obey God, who had lovingly cared and provided for them. They were approaching a time of judgment. That sounds familiar, right? Strong, commercial, military state, prosperous, but failed to obey God. They were approaching a time of judgment. God would send Isaiah to pronounce this coming judgment. And in Isaiah 6, we see the call of Isaiah to proclaim the word of God. And I think that his call is very instructive to us to understand God's call to preach the, and teach the word of God. Starting in verse 1, it, said in the, it says In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, This is Isaiah Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which had, he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but, you do not, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they may, might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until cities are devastated and are without inhabitant, Houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the far- forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will be subject to burning, like a terebinth, terebinth and an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump." Now I think that this call of of this call of Isaiah is helpful for us to understand the supernatural call nature of the call of God. The men who stand up today and preach and teach don't have the same vision as Isaiah, but it's no less serious. It's no less serious. Martin Lloyd-Jones understood the seriousness of the call. He says, The work of preaching is the highest, is the greatest, and most glorious calling to which anyone can ever be called. If you want something in addition to that, I would say without any hesitation that the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And as it is the great and most urgent need in the church, it is obviously the great need of the world also. Beloved, the call to be a a preacher or teacher of the word of God is a dangerous calling and must be undertaken with the utmost of care. Martin Lloyd-Jones understood the staggering privilege, right? And the burdens of the call to preach and teach. Listen to what John Piper has to say about this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Here's what he said. He knew, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones, knew that the great aim of preaching is the white-hot worship of God's people. And he knew that this worship is nothing small or constricted or parochial. It finds expression in weekly worship services and daily sacrifices of love and finally will be freely and fully released in the perfecting of the bride of Christ in her cosmic habitation. And so he knew that in his worship, that in this worship, uh, that he knew that this worship is as personal as the heart's deepest desire. As expansive as the universe, as enduring as eternity, and as visible as the radiance of love and the renewal of creation. End quote. In short, he understood that preaching leads God's people to the edge of eternity and allows them to see the glories of God. That's a dangerous undertaking. And it must be taken up with the utmost of care. What time is it? And we must be careful when we take up the mantle to preach and teach. We must regard the danger. And we must secondly re- realize the depravity. In verse 2, James begins to unpack the reason we should be slow to, to teach. Our depravity. For we all stumble in many ways. Earlier in chapter 2, James stated, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. We don't just stumble in one point, we stumble in many ways. And the truth points to our need for the grace of God. If you look back at the call to Isaiah, what did he say? He said in Isaiah 6-5, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then what do we see? We see the seraphim flying to him and, and touching his mouth with the coal. And his, his sin had been taken away, and his iniquity been taken away, and his sin forgiven, that is. Notice how Isaiah's sins and the sins of the people are related to the mouth, to the tongue, to, to his speech. Isaiah says, I am a sinful man, woe is me. The man of God is not perfect, but he has received forgiveness and walks in holiness before a holy God. James goes on to say, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body as well. See, James doesn't believe that the man is perfect, but that, it, that, but that he has controlled his, as, uh, his bridled his own tongue. I want you to recognize that the man who, the person who controls his tongue, controls his body. We must grasp that it's the person who is, has the control or he doesn't. And it's the tongue that he uses. But we must realize that the control of the tongue has both negative and positive aspects. We must learn to restrain the tongue in silence, but we must learn to be able to speak gracious and edifying words when that is required. John Piper says this When the heart is full of God's love, when the heart full of God's love can draw and the mind full of God's word, timely blessings will flow from the mouth. Now, I was going to make it to to point three, but I'm not going to. I've taken way too long. Let me close with this. Let me close with this. We've spoken a lot about the tongue in the last two last two Sundays, but I have not necessarily shined the light directly on your heart. Just just give me a second here, okay? Give me a second to speak. What about your own tongue? What does it indicate about your heart? What is your speech? indicate about your heart? Would you be willing to speak publicly every word that you say privately? What about every word that you mutter under your breath? Youth, children. Would you be willing to, for your parents to hear every word that you've spoken? I know when I was your age, I... Use words away from my parents that I would never use in front of them. Let me say it this way. You're not fooling. You may be fooling your parents, but you're not fooling God. The Bible says, of all mankind, in Romans 3, what then? Are we better than they? Paul writes this, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Then he goes on to say, Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their tongue, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're sitting here today and you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are condemned. You must believe the gospel you must acknowledge God as the creator of everything, as your creator. Paul writes in Romans 1, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile on their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You must realize that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. And and that none of us are worthy of God's standards. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now let me stop right there. Does this describe you? Romans 3 says, Your throat... Is an open grave? With your tongues you keep deceiving? The poison of asps is under your lips? Your mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Are you futile in your thoughts? Is your foolish heart darkened? Have you not bowed to the Creator? But God, right? He has shown His love by giving us the potential for life. He has shown His love by giving us the potential for life. Through the death of His Son. Through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. In Romans 5 8, but God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you remain in your sin, you will die and suffer the eternal wrath of God for your sin. However, If you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, the wages of sin, you fall short of the glory of God. You will pay. There are wages that you will pay. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right now, right here. Right now, right here. I beg you to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. I, I beg you to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And you will be saved. It says in Romans 10.13 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me say it this way. That mouth of cursing and bitterness, that mouth that has the poison of asp under the tongue, that mouth, that very mouth, If it confesses the Lord is Savior, if it confesses and believes that God has raised Christ from the dead, you can be saved. You shall be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, right here. I beg you, if you don't know him, make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life today. And if you do, if you know him, I beg you to live your life according to his word. James says, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. You know what James is talking about there? He's talking about living your life according to his word. He's talking about ultimately being glorified, persevering in this life, persevering in the difficulties of this life. You, we are going to face, as a, as a church, we're going to face more and more persecution. It's coming. The difficulties are coming, brethren. They're coming. I, I just know it. I mean, we see it. It's It's there. I want you to be ready. James says, let not many of you become teachers. Because he knows the seriousness of it. He knows that that call that we see in Isaiah is no less serious. I want you to be ready for what is to come. And the only thing that's going to get you ready is teachers who understand the seriousness of the Word of God. The only thing that's going to get you ready is t- teachers who are going to s- to teach you what you need to know. To ready you for that time. Because if you're not ready, you'll fold like a house of cards. you realize that? Why do you think James is saying this, right? These people are going through great difficulty. These people are going through great... Great problems, suffering. And as they go through that suffering, they need teachers who are going to teach them and keep them in the right way. Keep them on the right road, right on the right path. That's what we need today. is teachers who are serious, who are sober, and are willing to tell you what you need to hear. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, James says to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Would I pray that we would grasp, grasp the seriousness of the call to preach and teach I pray, Lord, that we would grasp the seriousness of our speech. Lord, I don't know the future, but I know that what I see here in your word, and I see the patterns coming, I see what they struggle with what James was trying to teach them and what they were struggling with at that time. I see what James was addressing and then I watch the comments roll in with some of the things that are happening even today. Some of the comments that have been made regarding the accusations that are going on even today and the Evangelical Church, I see such a lack of discernment, such a quick quickness to speak to to give opinion to be a self-styled teacher. Father, I pray that you would give us discernment. I pray that we would take, what we say seriously especially those who are teachers of the word of God I pray that we would see the call of Isaiah and we would see the seriousness of this call Isaiah being called before you judged Israel Judah and sent them into exile Isaiah, who saw that occur. There's no doubt that the seriousness of his call, the gravity of his call, matched the gravity of his ministry. Father, I pray that we would have discernment going forward, that we would control our tongues We bridle them. I pray, Lord, for those who don't know you here today, and I know that there are those here who do not know you. I pray, Lord, that they would consider their situation before you. I pray, Lord, that they would see their own tongues. They would see the bitterness. They would see what flows out of their heart. What they say flows out of their heart. Lord, the sadness that they feel, the the desperation that they feel is because they don't know you. I pray that they would come to know you. Lord, I beg you. I beg you that you would turn hearts to you today. We thank you and praise you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.